When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode eight, and we're recording on September 8th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. How's it going, Jen? It is going well. I, it is now a tradition for me to have my um, Hobbit Green Dragon mug out when we're recording this show, apparently, because that's that's <laughs> where my coffee is right now. <laughs> I love that. It makes me want coffee, and it w- makes me want to... What is it? Second breakfast? Yes. Oh, oh I, had, <laughs> I had second breakfast and 11Zs today, for the record. <laughs> that is awesome. You're, you're totally on brand. I am. I am. <laughs> I actually got my, um, this is my badass broads of sci-fi shirt. Oh, yes. And I'm wearing it right now. Yes. <laughs> so good. I was so excited about it after we talked about it on the last podcast that I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to buy it. It's so comfy, right? It's so comfortable. I just don't know when I'm going to take it off. No, I mean, never. Yeah. Yeah, and I go. I can go around looking cool, so that's always a plus. For sure. When someone stops you at the grocery store, let me know, because that actually happened to me, and it was so great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will totally let you know. I'm going to be disappointed, though, after you said that, mm. if nobody asked me, because I'm like, come on, people. Come on, people <laughs> of Portland. Right. Get Let's it together. Get it together. <laughs> One of your own is on this shirt. <laughs> exactly. Come on. But yeah, so that's what's going on. Uh, But do you want to talk about uh, our first sponsor? In fact, I do, because I think y'all will be very interested, as usual. This one is for folks who are looking for science-y and character-driven science fiction. The sponsor is Retrograde by Peter Caudron, which takes place on a colony on Mars called Mars Endeavor, um, where there are 120 scientists, astronauts, medical staff, and engineers living in this colony, like, deep underground on Mars, and they think they have all of their disaster planning sorted out, except for they realize they have no idea what to do when disaster strikes Earth, not them. So that is the sort of synopsis for you. Um, It is, in fact, grounded in the latest science about Mars, uh, the origins and geological history and physics. And they got an aerospace engineer uh, from MIT to, like, write an afterword to the book where he talks about how plausible the science is, which I always like in these kinds of um, sci-fi novels. And the the characters themselves are international. The colony has four modules. Um, There's U.S., Russian, Chinese, and Eurasian contingents. And so there's, like, a whole bunch of different characters that you're going to meet. And, yeah, it's a a really – I love this kind of – 
of, you know, colony-focused science fiction, especially because we got, you know, the Andy Weir book coming later this fall, and Wanderers by Meg Howery is sort of in this ballpark, too. So I'm happy to see another edition. So that's Retrograde by Peter Codron. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to talk about this Good Omens casting? Because I would be happy to. <laughs> super exciting. Um, so, yeah, David Tennant and Michael Sheen have been uh, casted to star in Good Omens as um, as what what was it? Uh, Azrael. As a fail, as a zero fail. I have never said that. It's out hard loud. to say. <laughs> okay, a zero fail, and um, the angel, which I, I missed his I Crowley. Crowley. His Crowley. Yeah. That's right, Crowley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a zero fail and Crowley. They're going to be casted, and it's funny because I read this book. This was Neil Gaiman's first novel, by the way. Um, and I read this book a long time ago. Before I knew that, like, before I knew who Terry Pratchett was as well. Mm-hmm. And I just love this book so much. So I have been kind of nervous about who they would cast. But I think that this is a really good casting. What about you? I think it is probably pretty good. It's so distracting, though. I have to close this tab because there's, like, a gif of David Tennant saying I know. <laughs> And it's just like I can't focus and talk while looking at his. It's like him from um, it's him as Kilgrave, which is even worse, I think. Anyway, okay, so <laughs> yeah, I read this book for the first time as a teenager, and I reread it not too long ago, and it is one of the funniest books I've read, probably up there with like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like as yeah. all time funny sci-fi fantasy books. Um, so I, and it's not that I don't, bl- I mean, I don't know who Michael Sheen is, um, but you know, obviously I'm familiar with David Tennant's work and I think he's yeah. an excellent actor. I have no doubt he'll be able to pull it off. I just worry. I just worry. Like I am a worrier <laughs> about this adaptation because the book is so good. And like, how are you gonna, how are you gonna make anything as good as the book is? Like, it's such a perfect piece of writing. Like, it's so perfectly self-contained and like lands all its jokes and just does all of the things that it's trying to do. And so I, I get nervous about adaptations of things that I think are like that good on their own. It's hard for me to not feel very nervous about what's happening but I mean this is this does seem to be a very promising start so (laughs) so I'm cautiously optimistic (laughs) I totally agree with you and I also read it I didn't read it as a teen but I think I read it probably in my my really early 20s and I have not done a rereading and when I heard about the adaptation in my head I was almost wondering if it's better that way that I have not reread it recently (laughs) like I I know we sometimes reread a book before an adaptation comes out to have a clearer picture of the original in our minds. And I remember not necessarily the details of the story, Mm -hmm. but I remember how much it made me love Terry Pratchett. (laughs) And he's like one of my all-time favorites. And this story sort of made me rethink like whether it's a good idea to reread a book that you've already read and really loved before you go into an adaptation because I feel the same way. I feel the same way. It could be really not okay for me. (laughs) I I will say, 
Hey, I reread the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy before those movies started coming out, like back in the day. Remember when wow. those were in the theaters? Um, oh my! I did. I reread all of them because I was determined to have the original images in my head in case the movie was not good. And of course, it was great. It was fine. It was really fun. Um, you know, I, I will eventually get over the lack of Tom Bombadil, but but, <laughs> but I oh wasn't sad that I had rerun it because it kind of helped to keep them as two separate things in my head. Like, this is the movie and this is the book. Um, so I don't know. I probably will read. I'm really curious to see how they cast the kids. Like, will they find, like... No names, or will they like you know? Will we see some of the kids from like Stranger Things or something? Like who's gonna be the the four kids is what I want to know. So yeah, I'm curious about that, and I'm also curious about who will, who will be cast as Anathema Device because she was my favorite character <laughs> in that book. <laughs> she was good. So, yes, yes. I think somebody like Dreamcasted um, Kristen Ritter. Oh, I hey. Jessica Jones, and I was like, you know, I could, I could back that up so (laughs) i mean and then the four horsemen of the apocalypse who are those they're so specifically you know they're so specifically imagined in my head Mm -hmm. that i'm like that's one of the things i'm not sure about with the casting but so far you know we'll we'll have to see where we where we go with this off to a good start though for sure yeah yeah Well, should we talk about this Voldemort prequel thing for Harry Potter fans? Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) So here's the story. This is this happened in August, so it's been a bit, but we wanted to talk about it. There was a kickstarted film, a fan film called Voldemort Origins of the Air. Um, and it was like, a, I think they got their full funding on, on Kickstarter. Um, and Warner Brothers actually gave them o- the okay to produce the film, assuming they made it freely available on release, which is interesting because this is not the first time that they that the Rowling Estate and Warner Brothers has given the okay to like fan made things. Like if you look at the Harry Potter Alliance, they have tons of merch that surely got copyrighted intellectual property material involved, but like they've been given the thumbs up because they're a nonprofit. So like the Warner Brothers has kind of established a sort of benevolent relationship with fan stuff as long as it's as long as you're not profiting off of it which makes you know a whole lot of sense um in a lot of ways but so the trailer has has is released for um for this movie and and then the full project will be on youtube on during the end of the year i confess that i did not watch (laughs) the trailer because I can not, there's a few things that I want less than a Voldemort (laughs) origin film, to be totally honest. I don't know. How do you feel about it? I feel the same way. I think that I, I have said this so many times now, and I feel like a curmudgeon about it at this point. But I'm sort of like, I'm done with all the Harry Potter backstory, alternate story, spinoff stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I did watch the trailer. And I mean, it was it was quality. It was well done for this sort of production, mm-hmm. like an independent company. But I didn't feel anything. I did not feel anything. <laughs> You're cold and hard. 
my cold, dead heart. It was it was just like I I was over it still. And I'm I it must have some interest because it got backed. Oh, and, for sure. You know, I, you know, yeah. So I don't know. I just don't it, – it's not for me. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's how I feel about it too. I have no doubt that people are super excited about this. And um, and I can understand the want to live in the world for as long as possible in any way possible. But really for me, I, there are characters I can think of who I might watch an origin film of. I just don't – I have no patience for Voldemort. I have zero patience Mm-mm. for Tom Riddle and his like hurty feelings. I just don't – I don't – I don't. I just don't. I don't know. Yeah, there was that conversation about, like, you know, is it really the time for it? Yeah, like, and do we need a movie about a neo-Nazi wizard? Like, do we need that? I don't, I don't know. I the don't know, guys. The answer is no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, Lord. You tell, you tell us if you think differently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't know. This is a tough one, but Mm -hmm. not for me because I'm probably just not going to watch it. Yeah. I'm sorry, people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of movies, Mm. we can talk about the upcoming Hellboy reboot and the situation that happened there. Yeah. Um, So... I thought that this was this this headline of this article was hilarious. It says, "I can't believe it, but a white man in Hollywood did something good." <laughs> so, what happened is they're doing this Hellboy reboot, um, and Ed Screen. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but that's it's S K R E I N, um, and he was in Game of Thrones briefly. He was cast to play the role of Major Ben Daimio uh, in the upcoming reboot. And then there was backlash because what he didn't know was that the character is Japanese-American and Ed Screen is white. So there's been all the, you know, there have been conversations about erasure and whitewashing in Hollywood, especially with Asian characters. And this was another example of that where everybody was just, you know, throwing up their hands like, how are you doing this again? Uh, but what happened, so it was announced, I think, like, the 22nd and then somewhere around, like, the 28th, so maybe a week later, um, Screen put up this announcement that he is stepping down from the role of Daimyo in the reboot, and once it came to his attention, he didn't realize that the character was supposed to be Japanese-American, and once it came to his attention that um, he was, and he saw the backlash he decided to step away from the role. So, yeah, that was, uh, I was, I mean, I'm glad he did it, and I'm glad it didn't take a whole bunch of, like, well, justifying from his end and, you know, trying to stay with the role. Um, But, yeah, what do you think about it? Did you have thoughts, feelings? Yeah, I mean, I have some feelings, I have some fan feelings about this reboot because I'm a huge fan of Ron Perlman as Hellboy, and I loved the Guillermo del Toro takes on it, and so, and I've read the original, um, and obviously Mike Mignola can, you know, do whatever he wants, it's his comic, like, he can make movies with other people, and that's fine. Yeah. It's, I like, I totally, like, logistically and rationally, I get it, but, like, 
like my fan feelings are sad um, about the fact that the new movie is like it's a different director, it's a new actor, and I mean you know Ron Perlman is like sixty seven, so probably you oh. know he could use a break, <laughs> but like still, still Ron Perlman forever. Um, so I was like prepared to be dismissive of this movie regardless. Sadly, <laughs> I'm a terrible human. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and then I saw the casting thing, and I was like, womp womp. But I will say I'm I am super delighted to see an actor being like responsible about this. I mean, that is really a, a wonderful, hopeful thing to see. Like it's also kind of the bare minimum, but like it's nice to see yes. somebody doing it. Um, and also I then I was like, okay, well, now it's up to the casting directors to actually cast mindfully like just because he steps back doesn't mean that they're not going to cast some other white person to do this role but I do believe that they have said that they're gonna like try to you know do a good casting for that role so you know fingers crossed um I I probably for all of my like you know grumping I probably will see it because I (laughs) I love Hellboy I love Hellboy as a character like I love Hellboy so uh so yeah I'm gonna grump about it but I will also probably see it and I, I I really hope that they pay better attention to their casting and can kind of you know be the ones who halt this trend in comics because there have been a lot of directors who have not done anything to fix this problem or, or have perpetrated the problem so it, it would be nice to see some some actual people making a thing do it the right way Yeah, and to me, it kind of boggles my mind that people in the industry could be so tone deaf, like they could be so blind about these conversations that are being had, because to me, they're rather loud, and I'm like, don't you know that there's going to be backlash, and people are going to be upset, and also, it's just not right. Right. So I'm I'm hoping that they recast... um, thoughtfully but I mean I'm so skeptical at this point it's very difficult for me to have any faith in the industry but um yeah I don't know I'm probably I'm also I'm probably gonna wait until this is on like Netflix or something I was looking at (laughs) I mean I like Mila Jovovich once in a while she's also cast in a role uh in this reboot but it does look like one of those you know sort of popcorn movies i don't know oh for sure i mean the original two were also very silly and fun although the final scene in the first hellboy movie looked amazing on the big screen i will say that looked incredible um so yeah yeah okay well well we might see hellboy we might not but uh (laughs) we can be posted (laughs) one of us (laughs) stay tuned Uh, stay tuned stay tuned where do you want to go next yeah should we talk about the big book deal news from the past month the victoria schwab book deal yeah this is a many layered story well yeah so it's. I think it's interesting on two levels. Okay, so the story is that V.E. Schwab, who is the author of the Shades of Magic series, signed a million-dollar deal with Tor Books, which is a big deal. Obviously, in books, advances are not usually that big. Like, if somebody gets, you know, 250000 like, that's a big deal. So a million-dollar deal is a big deal. Um, 
It is furthermore interesting because it's not for one book. Um, It's for multiple books. I believe it's for four books. No, it's a trilogy. Yes, Threads of Power is the trilogy. Um, Oh, no, and then there's a fourth book. And one more, yeah. Yeah, with a a female assassin. Ha ha. Uh, Appropriate for today's today's show. Um, so, So when you actually break down... The dollars based on how many books that is and over the time period, like it's actually not that much money. I don't even think it's enough to like quit your day job over, but it sounds fancy because it's a million dollar deal. I know. Yeah. And it was kind of when I found out about it, I was like, ooh, anytime you hear million dollars, Mm -hmm. it's uh, I I have no I have not had an experience where. I have come even close to that amount of money. No. So I think the layman <laughs> is like, million dollar deal. Wow, that's forever. Like, right. you can live off that forever. And then when you do see it sort of, like, I heard about it also on the main podcast mm. with Jeff and Rebecca. And I was like, wow, I, I never really thought about it, that it it takes a while to write four books, mm-hmm. and she's not just going to get all this money at once, and she actually has to publish these books, and I think that the deal, they estimate that it's going to cover, um, their contract is going to be over, like, seven years, mm-hmm. so if you think about a million dollars over seven years, it's different. I mean, still, to me, it's a lot of money, but there are all sorts of other things like royalties and taxes that come Oh, out yeah. It, so. And the taxes on author advances are bananas, by the way. I, have, really? I know enough authors personally to be able to assure you that the taxes, <laughs> it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's like a third. It's like a crazy amount um, because oh. it's like, it's, it's income that's not part of, it's like the company, you know, n- nobody's paying taxes on it until you, the author gets it it's crazy uh so yeah it's it's not it's not a good scene that that the royalty income too i'm sure is i mean that's a whole separate beast but what the other part that i think is interesting about this is this is not the big the only big fancy deal that tor has done they also mm-hmm. did a big deal um back in 2015 with john scalzi who as we know writes great uh space operas and he did a 3.4 million dollar deal but it was for 13 books um and it's like over the course of 10 years so i mean it's a lot of money in theory but like when you break it down but i just think it's interesting that tor is doing these package deals because i'm not really hearing about that from any other publisher yeah i thought it was i didn't realize until i read the article a second time that they were both from tor Mm -hmm. And that was surprising to me, too. I mean, these two authors are particularly prolific. Mm -hmm. uh, So I wonder if it's just, you know, once they hit upon authors like these, they offer out these giant package deals because they want to lock them down. They know that they're going to write some books. Right. They have a name and a presence. So I'm wondering if that's why. But, yeah, this is like that's a lot of money from one publisher And so I don't know if they're trying to do something specific, if they have a specific strategy where this is just like their new norm. But I mean, that Scalzi one was a few years back, right? So yeah, it was 2015. So like two in, you know, two years is not 
so many. But, you know, a usual book deal is like, oh, you can get a two-book deal. Like, that's a thing that happens. But, like, a 13-book deal is bananas. That Um, is so many. So, yeah, I think think you're right, though. I think they're just trying to lock down the talent, which is smart, you know? Authors move houses sometimes if editors change, and there's all kinds of reasons why an author might leave one publisher for another publisher. So if you feel like these are your lead authors and you want to keep them in-house, like, this is one way to do it. Yeah, and it's it's great for them because they don't have to worry about like moving around and changing contracts and editors and things. So I mean, assuming they're happy where they are, which yeah. I would assume they are because they signed the deal. So <laughs> yeah, both of them seem like they're you know celebratory. I saw the the mm-hmm. tweet from uh, Schwab, and it sounded like she was excited about it. I'm excited about more books from her. I'm a big fan, so I'm glad that they're coming. I sort of never doubted that they would. She. She is one of those like writing all the time writers, so that's awesome. I'm I'm happy for them, and mm-hmm. I would love to have a million dollar deal for something anyway, <laughs> even if it is complicated. <laughs> Come at us, publishers. <laughs> Maybe we can figure something out. <laughs> Tell us what to write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, do we have time for another story, or should we? Shall we move along? Uh, your call. Um, let's briefly talk about the uh, Brown Girl in the Ring adaptation because yes. I'm excited about this one. Mm-hmm, me so, too. I love Nalo Hopkinson. I think I probably said it so many times people are sick of hearing me saying it. But Nalo, Hopkins, Nalo Hopkinson is a really great science fiction and fantasy writer and brown girl in the ring is actually one of the books i have not read by her um but i've read i loved sister mine so much that was one of my favorites by her but so anyway uh my fandom aside they're making a film based on her novel brown girl in the ring and this was actually another crowdfunded project. So it ended up making like 116% of what they were asking. And um, the story is about, it's kind of an older story of hers. It was written in 1998. And it's about um, this crime riddled city where it's called The Burn, I believe. And um, there's a Caribbean Canadian girl who's also a priestess and she's 17 years old. And she decides to go into this this really dangerous area, and it's about, like, her coming of age. So the adaptation is going to be written and directed by Sharon Lewis, and um, in the crowdfunding video, she said she's been working on this for, like, 15 years. So it's obviously a big project for her. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about this. Everything uh, Nala Hopkinson writes is so gorgeous and so picturesque that I feel like, I mean, picturesque in sometimes a frightening way, I should add. And this is about like a futuristic ghetto. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with this. And I kind of like that it's a bit independent because they get to take it in places where maybe um, a more commercial film wouldn't go. So yeah, did I, you? I, I actually just 
recommended this book this week in Swords and Spaceships and on Get Booked. Um, <laughs> I love her as well, and I recently reread it. And and it, I was reading over the description of the movie, and it sounds like they've changed some things. Like, the original book takes place in downtown Toronto. Like, there is an area of Toronto that's kind of, like, nicknamed The Burn, but they've changed it to an island, and, like, there's a few... Anyway, like, they're they're clearly tweaking it. Um, but I, I did... I watched the trailer, and it looks fantastic. Like, it definitely looks like a reinterpretation, but it looks beautiful. And I'm super excited because it's coming out sooner rather than later, right? Like, the film is going to premiere at the Urban World Film Festival in New York on September 23rd, um, so later this month. And then hopefully there will be ways to watch this after that. I, I literally put myself on the newsletter for this movie. I was like, oh, where <laughs> do I sign up? Like, I am ready for this because the book is amazing. Like, it's this really great near future sort of dystopia that also manages to pull in all of this folklore and Afro-Caribbean mythology and it's just it's a page turner like it's fast paced so I can't wait to see what they've done with it I cannot wait yeah, it's super exciting, and I think I'm going to read the book now because you must. It, it's, it's so. Good. I know, I know. <laughs> although, although because they have made some tweaks, like it might be interesting to wait until after you've watched the movie and then read it and see. Yeah, because it said something. I thought I saw this, and I was like a little confused because it said something like prequel. And so I'm wondering if maybe it is. It's supposed to be like before no, uh, Brown Girl. I don't think the so. Ring. Okay, well maybe I mean, I'm. I'm just. <laughs> they changed the name. They called it Brown Girl Begins, which kind of implies that there's something else that happened. So I don't know. But, well, you know. I, I think maybe I'll wait. I'll wait until after. Now that I'm on a roll of just waiting <laughs> until after I've watched the adaptation. We'll just go there. Fair. We'll go with it. Okay. Well, um, I actually am going to talk about our second sponsor, and then we are going to talk about our recommendations for our theme. Uh, so our second sponsor is The Punch Escrow by Tal M. Klein, and this book is dubbed The Next Ready Player One, which also has an adaptation coming, by the way, and it's perfect for fans of Dark Matter. The Punch Escrow is the must-read book of the summer. It's already in development for a film. Everything is being adapted. I mean, this is great for for uh, science fiction and fantasy writers. Uh, so it's already in development for film. It's a genre busting debut. That's part of uh, that's part hard sci fi thriller, part love story, and part high stakes adventure through a world where teleportation is the norm. So after he's accidentally duplicated while teleporting, Joel Byram must outrun the most powerful corporation on the planet and find a way back to his wife in a world that now has two of him. The Punch Escrow is the first book in Geek and Sundry's publishing imprint with ink shares and will be available wherever books are sold July 25th. I love Geek and Sundry, so when I saw their name, I was uh, really excited about this first book that they're publishing. Uh, I love Felicia Day. I used to watch her videos, The Flog. So um, this sounds really great. It's about why it asks the questions, why is teleportation so seductive to us? And, uh, you know, who's the the Punchesco's target audience. I think that's everybody who's listening to this show right now. So it sounds super exciting. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the trailer for the film. And again, that was The Punch Escrow by Tal M. Klein. Uh, thank you for sponsoring the show. 
All right, so we decided that our theme for today was assassins, which Yay! super fun, although also kind of tricky to find sci-fi assassins rather than fantasy assassins. Like, there are a million billion fantasy assassins out there. Yes. So many, so many. Mostly historical, for the record. Um, but I, I did find one. Kind of. No, I think it counts. Okay, so my first pick to tell you about for our assassin theme is Mort by Robert Rapino, which is one of the weirdest books uh, that has, that I have experienced in the past few years. It came out, let's see, 2016? No, 2014. It's a few years old at this point. Um, and it's about a cat assassin. It's a cat, uh, except that in this world... <laughs> The ants have evolved and declared war on humans and released, like, a hormone and a frequency out into the world that transforms other animals into, like, people-sized, you know, opposable thumb-having versions of their prior selves. So Mort starts out as a house cat, like a totally normal house cat, and then once this war on humanity begins, like, one day he just, like, suddenly is seven feet tall and has hands and can understand language and think critically and... um and 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 gets drafted into this war against humans for having enslaved all of animal kind and for having destroyed the planet like all the reasons that you might expect that animals would be mad at humanity like here they are um but the the sort of twist on this is that Mort was sort of besties back when he was a regular house pet with the next door neighbor's dog, Sheba. And they get separated as all this is happening. And so he, like, all he wants is to find her and find out what has happened to her. Um, so he, like, joins this squad. He becomes an assassin. He becomes, like, a war hero. He's really good at killing things, it turns out, because he's just kind of dead inside because all he wants is to be reunited with his dog best friend except that he doesn't even know if she's still alive um and and you also get this glimpse of like you know the ants and why they went to war on humanity and it's it's just bananas like it's so strange and weird it's like you know watership down except weirder even um so wow. yeah i know it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> But Mort is a great character. Like, it's a weird thing to think about, especially because I have cats. So I'm just like, oh, God, like, if they were suddenly <laughs> blessed with sentience and opposable thumbs, like, how long would Don't. I survive? <laughs> Don't even say it. <laughs> it's a weird thought. Um, and there's actually a sequel and, like, a also a companion novel, I believe, um, about this uh, world that Robert Urbino has created. Super bizarre. Um, definitely worth checking out if if you're into that like kind of weird pocket of sci-fi where just nothing makes sense for a little while but you're into it anyway so that's Mort by Robert Rapino. that's one of those books I keep passing by in the bookstore and I always pause just because of the cover because mm -hmm. it's, it's a very cover. much a cat yeah. it's a really good very well designed people um <laughs> so before I start with my uh sci-fi sort of pick i wanted to give a shout out to the ember in the ashes series by sabata here the masks are such great assassins and that whole story is gripping and also to 
Terry Pratchett's Pyramids, uh, where the main character goes to assassin school. I think that's a good one if you're looking for laughs. Um, you will get them a plenty, of course, from Terry Pratchett. But I chose for this one River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey. And this is another one that's totally bonkers. Um, and the reason I picked it up was because I could not even wrap my head around the idea when I heard of it. Uh, so this is an alternate history cowboy story without the cows. It's, um, again, it's Rivers of, uh, River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey. And um, I say without cows because the biggest double take I had with this book is that it imagines an early 20th century U.S. if the government had imported hippos into the Louisiana <laughs> marshlands to be bred, which is like, excuse me? <laughs> so, so Gailey's, uh, in her foreword, it was so entertaining because she talks about the true life circumstances where hippos would be bred for meat. And this was the inf inspiration for this book. Um, and it's set in the bayou in the 1890s, um, though Gailey, she admits to sort of fudging history and the technology of time, of the time, but I was like, well, this is a really fantastical imagining of history, even though it is founded on what could have been, uh, so I was totally fine with that. But we meet a gang of vigilantes. There's Houndstooth, who's the leader of the gang. He basically pulled the team together, and he used to be a hopper, which is the hippo world equivalent of a cowboy. But now he's out for basically fortune and revenge. And then there's Archie, who's this French woman, and she's a high-level con artist. And Hero, who's a detonations expert. And then there's Cal, who's a total jerk and the fastest gun in the West. Um, and then we've got our assassin. Her name is Adelia, and she is a contract killer. She rides two hippos. Um, not at the same time, but still, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that would take some serious acrobatics. <laughs> that was the best mental image just now, though. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> separately, separately. Um and the funny, like, she's very, very pregnant throughout the story. So that would make an even stranger image. But that doesn't stop her from being a total bad mamma jamma. She kind of arrives in this cloud of oohs and ahs and mystery. Um, and she's obviously a fierce character. So Houndstooth basically drags the gang out of hiding and this life of monotony and sort of small-time hijinks to pull this big job with the promise of a lot of money if they succeed. And the con has to do with feral hippos who become a huge problem. But in their way stands this sort of snidely whiplash villain who's this powerful tycoon. So the mission is really high stakes, but they're all kind of game for it, uh, with the exception of Cal, who, again, is a jerk. There's this running <laughs> joke... <laughs> That it's sort of, it's not a caper they're on, but this is totally a caper story. It's almost cartoon-like, if that makes sense, or maybe like Spaghetti Western mm -hmm. could also describe mm -hmm. it. Spaghetti Southern <laughs> um, is very comical and over the top. It's also super diverse. There's a really diverse cast of characters with um, queer, fat, and marginalized people who are all main characters. And The Taste of Marrow comes out. Uh, the day this podcast posts, it's the sequel to this on September 12th. So if you love that story, you can go right to the next. Uh, 
Again, that was uh, River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey. Sorry. It's hard to follow up hippos, I I will say. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, so before I give my fantasy... Assassin. I want to shout out Graceling, uh, the Graceling series by Christine Kishore, but particularly the first one, which has Katza, who is like one of my all-time favorite girls who are good at violence. Um, but I, this was this podcast was a good excuse for me to finally read The Young Elites by Marie Lu, which has been on my TBR forever. And she's got Warcross out also on the day that this podcast launches, I believe. Um, so she's, I mean, she's been on my radar for just so long. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to recommend, I was like, aha, finally, I can, I have an excuse to read this. Um, and so <laughs> if you haven't read them yet, I may be the only one. Um, the, the, it's a series, and the first one, The Young Elites, follows Adelina Amateru. I probably said that wrong. Um, she is a young woman who is a survivor of this plague that has swept through her sort of like Venetian, Italian, sort of pseudo European world. And a lot of the children who survive the plague are altered in strange ways. They have weird powers, they have differently colored hair, or they have other markings on their bodies. Um, and she is the daughter of a really terrible, abusive father. And he is constantly trying to prove that she has some powers, but she does not appear to. So finally, she runs away. There's this horrible thing that happens. She runs away. And she falls in with this secret society of other survivors of the plague and they teach her to, she does have powers, and they teach her how to unleash them and how to, con- or they're trying to teach her how to control them. Um, but of course, nothing goes according to plan. It's a very plot driven book. And I thought it was really interesting and different because. It's, it's more of an anti-hero story than a hero story, which I really loved, and I definitely am going to have to pick up the rest of them now because I need to know what happens. So, yes, if you're looking for sort of supernatural assassin-type folks, uh, The Young Elites by Marie Lu is a good starting place. That sounds super fun. Oh, it is. Um, you would like it. I, uh, for several reasons I can think of right off the top of my head, ooh. you would like it. Yeah, you would like it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm not going to catch up forever with <laughs> my reading. Okay. Uh, speaking of catching up, this book, I, I was just telling you that I was up until 1 o'clock in the morning finishing it. It's Flame in the Mist by Renee Adier. Um, It was a page turner, and I had to get to the end. So it's a young adult fantasy. And the story takes place in feudal Japan. It's about Mariko, the only daughter of a prominent samurai. And Mariko is on her way to the palace to be married to the emperor's son. She is not happy about it, um, as you might imagine. But these are different times. And uh, it just happens that Mariko is a very progressive 17-year-old. She's not interested in being married off. Uh, she's curious by nature, and she's more interested in inventing things and wearing, you know, pretty clothes and being married off to the rich and the powerful. But uh, as she and her entourage are on their way to the palace, they get attacked by assassins. And the Black Clan is notorious for their really bloodthirsty ways and for rebelling against the emperor. They're also known for being extremely dangerous. And Mariko knows it's this clan who attacked her party and tried to kill her. But she manages this narrow escape. She can't go back to her family, though, because she's sort of disgraced. 
And she can't wander the land as a solitary woman, so she decides to dress up as a boy. And everything afterwards, uh, and there's a lot afterwards, is driven by her vow to get revenge against the Black Clan. And there's definitely a Mulan element here, if you didn't recognize it already, (laughs) where she's in disguise and has to learn to become a warrior. And I ridiculously and horribly had like the soundtrack to Mulan in my head just because I read a synopsis that said this is like Mulan. Um, did you have there's also <laughs> did you have I'll make a man out of you just like running on repeat? Yes! <laughs> oh my goodness. It was too much. It was too much <laughs> after like four hours. Uh <laughs> But there's also, like, this hunt element where her twin brother is the dragon of Kai. He's a super skilled warrior, and he's really obedient son, and he doesn't believe his sister is dead. And we also get his side of the story a little bit um, as he's tracking her down. And there's romance, you know, young adult fantasy. Mariko infiltrates the Black Clan, and there's this sort of slow-burning, tense romance. I won't tell you what happens there. There are no love triangles in this book, which I don't know about you, I was relieved about. Um, But the characters in the Black Clan were really cool, and there is, I'm giving you a cliffhanger alert, because at 1.30 in the morning, I was (laughs) screaming, because uh, it was a super cliffhanger. So the book is not, the second book is not out yet. It's not out until May of next year. Oh. I'm, so, I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry for me. It was so good, though. So good. <coughs> and Adi actually has other books out there, including The Wrath and the Dawn, which is on my bookshelf right now, waiting to be read. So you can always, like, explore her other works. I'm definitely going to, again, that was Flame in the Mist by Renee Adier. And, and yeah, is that our show? That's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, please do drop us a line at sffyeah at bookriot.com. We are always excited to get emails from you. Some people have suggested themes for the show, which is great. Uh, love to hear your feedback. Speaking of feedback, if you would also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we love to see it and it helps other folks to find the show. You can find me mostly on Tumblr these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, Jen with two N's. And you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Bye.